0: welcome everyone to another episode of where's this going before we get into it today i want to please remind you to follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine and also subscribe to my YouTube channel that you can find by searching my name Felix Levine on YouTube. There you'll find every episode in its full video version as well as smaller clips and highlights from those episodes. And also if you're a fan or sponsor looking to get in touch with me, please visit my website Felix-Levine.com where you can find all episodes in both video and audio formats, photos from every recording, and as I just mentioned, contact information for you there handy. And also, if you're listening to this right now, please just take a quick second to go rate and review the show on Apple's podcast app. That would be a massive help. And my next guest, he is a pioneer in the fitness industry and a highly successful entrepreneur. His vast array of companies have had over 6,000 locations in over 28 different countries. Please welcome the highly talented and charismatic Peter Taunton. and we're live. Peter, thank you uh, so much for taking the time today. I'm excited to have you on my show and uh, thank you so much again.
1: No, man, it's my pleasure, Felix. And um, you know what, I've been thinking about this and happy, happy Monday to everyone out there.
0: Happy Monday. Um, so I told you a few seconds ago, is there a little tidbit, a little story, a little something that the world doesn't know about you from what's already out there?
1: Yes, believe it or not, and no one knows this, I've never used an ATM machine in my life. Really? (laughs) Never. I've never used an ATM machine. And when I go to a bank, they say, what's your pin number? I say, pin for what?
0: (laughs) Really? Never. I've
1: never had to use a cash machine ever in my life.
0: So I guess the obvious question is then how do you get cash or do you never touch cash or do you? No, I touch
1: cash all the time. Like if people owe me money, I tell them pay me cash, right? (laughs) If I'm betting on a golf course, pay me cash. (laughs) Anything. If I buy season tickets for a sporting event and I share them with someone, pay me cash. player.
0: Oh, so then basically it's just the people that are giving you cash is how you have a little bit of cash. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. Wow. And where? So when was so you've never in your whole life ever? Never. I've never even I've never approached an ATM machine ever. Do you know what you would do if you got to an ATM
1: machine? I'm sure I could sort my way through it, but I've gone this far. So now it's kind of my thing see so, so, i was just telling i was just telling a girlfriend of mine that about a couple weeks ago i said i've never used a, a cash machine ever in my life she goes that is
0: one of the funnest facts i've ever heard about you wow do you but do you yeah. even know your pin code if you had to i don't have one
1: but i don't even have one they
0: don't even ask you to establish one when you have a bank account or no no nope. no nope. wow that that yeah. is definitely that's a i mean we do a bunch of different episodes that's the first time i've ever yeah. heard anything in that ballpark but that's yeah, so for
1: me. And for me, like when I do my my banking, so I have I have, you know, fans, a private banker. So my, I have my whenever I do a wire transfer or anything like that, they have to physically call my digits. They have to call my phone. Huh. They have to get a verbal command from me.
0: Wow. Very that's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's I guess the way to do it. Um. So there's so much I want to get into. Um. Yeah. But I guess, you know, You know, you've said the story a bunch of times, but I guess for my listeners, for people who aren't familiar with you, just a brief background, I feel like it would do you more justice to have you kind of talk about your life rather than have me do it. So just a just a brief background on, you know, how you got to where you are today. Um, So for the listeners that aren't familiar with your story.
1: Yeah, I'll give you my my two minute elevator. Right. My two minute elevator. So I grew up youngest of seven. I have an identical twin, youngest of seven kids. I grew up in a small town in the Midwest. And we were just a normal middle middle class family. My dad had a grocery store in a small town. And the one thing that my father gave me, the gift that he gave me at eight years old was the opportunity to work. So at a very, very young age, I learned accountability and responsibility. And for that, I'm grateful. I had no idea that some of the life lessons I learned as a child would be would be very prevalent today in, in the way that I roll, the way that I behave, um, so there's many things that i'm grateful for i had an opportunity to turn around a failing health club um, in my hometown uh, boy this is in my early 20s that was my big break that was my big break and uh, so I, I, I had the opportunity to turn around they never put a ceiling on how much they allowed me to have some equity in the business they never put a ceiling on how much equity i could acquire and that was my big break my big break was try to turn around a failing club. And by the way, if you do it, we will let you buy us out with the profits. That is a huge opportunity. So I did that for 20 years. And when I when I got to a point where I had enough where I could buy everyone out of the business, I really leveraged it and I was fearless. I was fearless because when you're young and you start at the bottom, you're not afraid of the bottom,
0: mm.
1: right? Because you've lived there. You, you experience that every day. So when everybody's saying, oh my gosh, you were all in, I didn't know anything other than all in, mm. right? So I, I leveraged my one club, my dream. I leveraged that dream to have another dream. And I did that seven times. At one point I had seven health clubs. I closed it, cl- I sold them all. And then after about six months, I got right back in the trenches and I created a brand called Snap Fitness. And and that was the brand. I, I didn't have any partners. I, I, I used my own money to start it. I started Snap Fitness with uh, $300,000 and I, I made that from when I sold my other clubs and uh, I built it into a 200 plus million dollar company in 15 years. And and uh, got roughly I've, I've since acquired and expanded and created other brands. But a long story short, I've, uh, I have about six thousand locations, either either licenses or physical locations in 28 countries. I've built one of the largest wellness brands in the world. And I and I've and I made so many great relationships great friendships, great life experiences along the way. And for that, I'm eternally grateful.
0: Now, what would, um, if you had told your eight-year-old self all these things, that it would lead to all of this, what would a young eight-year-old Peter Tounton have told me? I would say, son, get yourself a helmet and a chin strap. <laughs> it's, it's
1: about to happen. It's going to go down. Everything I've taught you, up to this point, you're gonna you you know, I would I would have, I mean, I would have had fun fun with it. I would just said, look, enjoy the journey, number one. I mean, in all seriousness, um, if I if my father had told me, he he I wish he would have said, Hey son, I know that you've got this ability to work really hard, you're really focused, but just make sure that you maintain balance in your life. Make sure that you take the time to dance. And and that that's that's something I talk about all the time, just metaphorically when people say, Peter, do you have any regrets? And one of my biggest regrets is I wish I would have danced more. Mm. And and I say that figuratively because I was so motivated. I was so driven. And it was almost for, from fear of loss, Felix. Sometimes when you start with nothing, right. you can't even imagine a life of being broke and poor and having this opportunity slip through your fingertips. It's that that thought for some people don't get it. Some people, they, when I, when I say things like that, it sounds so profound, but when you know that you have, that you have a tether to a dream and it's yours to lose, I mean, you put an an insurmountable, insurmountable amount of pressure on yourself to succeed. Now it served me well. And now after, after winning, I can sit back and say, damn, you know, I do wish I would have danced a little bit more. But I probably wouldn't have got where I am today without it, if that makes any sense. Right.
0: And were you able, I mean, during, I guess, the growth mode or the growth stages to find balance? And then how how did maybe finding your balance then, how was it different than how you find your balance now?
1: Well, did I find balance? Absolutely. But you know what? I only found balance when the work was done. Mm. Okay. So I never let work get in the way of it. And And I'm not talking about, work as it relates to opportunity chasing another opportunity that's different that's a whole different perspective when i talk about i made sure i was done with the work i held myself accountable to making sure that the work was done that the emails were answered that the phone calls were were answered that i delivered on my promise to the thousands of franchisees that i have out there around the world because you know what they're paying me their hard-earned money Mm -hmm and i have to make myself available once you once you make that flip where instead of investing for yourself people are investing in you mm-hmm. once that happens there's a whole new level of accountability that you better hold
0: yourself to and how do you learn about that new level of accountability and you know then because it, you go from, I guess, a little bit of pressure more on yourself to then pressure from thousands or, or you feel, res, you know, responsible and accountable for thousands. How do you, um, you know, how, or how did you, I guess, during the, those stages of growth, uh, learn that accountability and learn how to deal with it and manage it and manage people, really?
1: Well, <clears throat> excuse me, at an early age, my father all the time and my dad was always one of those guys where if you were driving with him, he had this van that he used for deliveries for his grocery store. And he, sometimes he would say, who wants to go for a drive? Well, that would be his moment to have his un, your undivided attention. And now they keep in mind, there wasn't cell phones and things like that. And my father always talked about character, character and how do you wanna show up, right? And, and making decisions, sometimes making decisions when you don't follow the pack, you thin yourself from the herd. So for me, hearing that, hearing my father's words literally weekly weekly i mean it was to the point by the time i was a teenager i'm like oh my gosh i'm gonna hear the character speech again right but today as an adult i talk about it all all the time Mm -hmm. i talk about it in these podcasts i talk about it with friends i talk about it with my children i say look how do you want to show up because that's a choice that you get to make how do you want to show up every day when people look at you what do you want them to see When they're talking about you, when you're not in the room, what do you want to hear? And that level of accountability and character is saying, look, I mean, I hope for me, I hope people say, you know what, he's a stand-up guy. He'll give me the shirt off his back, but make no mistake about it. Don't mistake kindness for weakness.
0: Mm. Now, what do you think you'd be doing if you hadn't had that, you know, I guess that first opportunity in that health club back way back when? What do you think life would have looked like? Or what did you hope life would have looked like as a as a young kid, I mean, I know you, there's that, and I I forget which podcast, I think it was with uh, Dr. Bill Dorfman. You talk about, um, you know, closing your uh, business statistics book and being sick of school. Um, But I don't know what, what did you imagine life would be if if it weren't for this?
1: I always, I always felt Felix that, that I had the ability to lead people and, you know, leading people, when people say, Oh, you're a leader, look, you can't just call yourself a leader. A leader is a result of people wanting to follow you does that make sense yeah okay because you can't lead as a dictator you can't drag people along you've got to have a certain level of passion in whatever it is you do in your life and passion is contagious Mm. so you have to have a certain level of passion you have to have a certain level of vision you have to have a certain level of compassion and patience For those people who follow you, and they think they understand your vision, but they don't quite get it with the same enthusiasm that you do, because maybe they don't fully understand it. So you have to be patient. And then at the end of the day, gratitude for those that do. I talk about it all the time. I may have built one of the largest wellness brands in the world. Make no mistake about it. I had the ability to stand on the shoulders of some amazing people who happened to have that same passion and share in the same vision that I did. Mm. so what do I think I would be doing I don't I don't know I think I would be leading people only because I'm a really passionate guy and as I said earlier it's contagious so I think I would have been doing providing some sort of a service or some sort of a business where I'm in front of the people um, delivering some product
0: and where do you think that that passion comes from I've heard you talk about it in you know multiple different interviews but Um, Do you think it's because, you know, your dad built you with this kind of character? Do you think that you were just naturally always passionate about things you were doing? I mean, where do you think it stems from?
1: Yeah, you know, I can't. Certainly my father had something to do with it. And I have an identical twin. I don't know if I told you that. An identical twin. And he and I were unbelievably competitive with one another. Mm. So, you know, when you're a twin and you grow up in kind of a small town, you're a little bit of an anomaly anyway. Mm. So you're, you know, people are curious about you, right? So you're not shy for the most part, even though when I grew up, I was very shy. But once I got into sports and was an athlete and then became a a really good athlete, um, you start getting accolades. And with accolades comes confidence. Mm. And pretty soon when you're not believing in yourself and other people are believing in you, pretty soon you wake up one day and you say, you know what, I am that person. And you own it, right? right? I, you don't I mean when I was five six, seven years old, I was a shy little kid I was shy, I was the forgotten one, youngest of seven, my parents were over us i mean they were spent right so I was a shy kid kind of, and, and my twin was the same way, but we came out of our shell as we excelled in athletics and then obviously excelling in business uh, you can't be bashful, you can't be shy and run companies you've got to be. You got to walk into a room and you have to own it.
0: And how how do you, I mean, to give advice to people that are unable to, or not unable, but struggle with, you know, walking into a room and owning it. I mean, do you have any best piece of advice for people who need to kind of learn how to take that stand and, you know, I guess, believe in what they're saying when they're walking into a business meeting or something of that nature?
1: Yeah, I. you know what? I do a lot of consulting right now and I, and I sense a lot of people, their demeanor is really is really uh, submissive all right and i tell them look here's the difference if i'm walking in if i like when i'm at my uh my international franchise convention make no mistake about it when i'm there i know what i'm there for i'm like a game show host mm-hmm. and nobody wants tired peter everybody wants peter on fire mm-hmm. okay and that's because that's what my brands represent so i have to be that but on the other side of it, if I'm going out for 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 dinner with a with a, a girlfriend or, or hanging out, uh, you know, I, believe me, you're gonna find me in the in the corner, quiet, chilling, having a having a, you know, a margarita or whatever, right? So I know when I have to have my place. So I I try to convey that to people. Look, understand that balance. You don't wanna be that type A personality where every time you go somewhere, you're the loudest in the room and your hair's on fire, that person gets gets really tiresome to be around. But you gotta know when it's your turn to shine. And believe me, when you walk into a room or when you're doing a, a, when you're doing a podcast or when you're asked an, an opinion or your perspective on something in a business setting, I tell you what, you gotta stand up tall and you gotta give it to them straight. And don't be afraid what everyone around you is thinking, own your decisions.
0: Now, I'm also curious, during those, uh, you know, I guess those growth stages in the beginning, um, is there something that you wish you had known then that you now know now that would have maybe saved you time or efforts or money or all the above?
1: For sure. For sure. I mean, I I can tell you one one in specifically, and I'll I'll do it in in a second here, but I I will tell you that um, those experiences, that some of them that you wish you didn't have to have, That's part of it. I mean, every successful person that you'll meet. And when I'm talking about successful, I'm talking about real financial success. Every one of us will tell you that all of our growth came through times of adversity. All of our growth came through times of challenge. Um, Like what we're going through right now, COVID, where you are forced to pivot your business model, you will pivot or you will die. Mm -hmm. So it's, you get to these moments and it's not for the faint of heart. Some people sit at home wringing their hands thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna lose my business. Others, they spit in their palms and say, look, we have got to put our heads together and we've got to find out a new a new value. How do we deliver exceptional value to our customers in this new business climate that's been put upon us? So that that's, you know, there's a lot of meat on the bone there, but you understand what I'm saying.
0: And I mean, speaking of COVID, I guess, right off the bat, how has that kind of, uh, you know, how have you adjusted with this new new normal, new world, um, and you know managing expenses, managing businesses? I mean, you have multiple. Um, how's that? How, what's that process and that you know thing been like for you? Well, the, the good news is
1: that um, everyone we're all in it together, right. and and I've I've experienced you know major catastrophic events in two thousand three, the dot com crash. Right. All right, that was a big deal. In two thousand eight nine, the financial crash, the real estate crash. And now COVID, COVID dwarfs the other two. Really, ten X, yeah. COVID is a complete shit show, right? For because for the first time in our country's history, government is mandating that you shut your doors. So you know the initial the initial shutting of the doors that was one 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 component of it. That's my dog. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's the um, so that was the one component of it. But but then having to face the new reality of consumer behavior. And that's something when you have a consumer facing product, your reality is whatever the consumer's perspective is. Okay. okay? So their perception, their perspective is your new reality. So you need to pivot accordingly. So for us, now that our clubs are back open, keep in mind at one time, we had 6,000 locations closed that not out of business, but just closed. So now consumer comes back. you got to be really intentional on your cleaning Okay. You can't make cleaning a secret. It used to be you cleaned your club after hours. Now you're intentional. You're wiping things down. As soon as people are done using it, you're over there wiping it up because you want people to understand that you're taking COVID seriously, right. right? And so giving them that level of comfort that you're serious about COVID and you're providing them a safe environment, that's step number one. So what does that do? It adds operating costs to your business model. Right. Now, and then the other component is some people have gotten their head, I'm not going to go to the gym anymore especially some of the group fitness functional training type products where people are are three and four feet from each other running on treadmills you know sweating and you know they're going from station to station that those models are really suffering today fortunately my models are not suffering as much because they can choose their time their their, the convenience factor the flexibility factor It, it really suits covid well but still i feel bad for everyone out there everyone in the in the health club space, in the restaurant hospitality space, every one of us has had to pivot to some extent and and some some will, will survive, many won't. And that, that's the sad part.
0: And so you're confident that in terms of survival, at least you're okay and that it's manageable. And I mean, I don't know, have you seen since the reopening, um, you know, what's that been like, I guess, from the, from the inside, really? I mean, are, are people coming out as much, you know, have memberships dropped? I yes. mean, what's that like?
1: Well, we've had our memberships. We've had some membership attrition. Yeah, we think that they're, that they're, that they're coming back. So we believe that they're going to come back. Um, be, just be just because it's people want to exercise. Exercising at your home, you can only that's you can only do that so long, and pretty soon you get tired of it. So people are coming back to the gyms and ours. We've had some attrition. Our member visit counts were about seventy-five to eighty percent of what we were pre-COVID. Hmm. Now that varies depending what part of the world you're talking about, but so they're, you know, they're backed to an extent, but the revenues are not back to where they were. We're seeing some new signups from people we normally wouldn't see because people are leaving the big box gym. People are, leave, are leaving the discount players where you've got heavy membership density mm-hmm. and they're saying, look, I'll pay a little bit more, but I know that I'm going to be in a safer environment and I, and I can't put a dollar figure on my health.
0: Right. Now, for you also, uh, I'm also curious because I know you're involved in a lot of different brands. Um, How do you gauge when you want to invest, perhaps start a new company, start a new product? Um, You know, what's that process like? I'm more curious about the, you know, the internal conversations. Is there one or two people you always go to to talk about these things with? Um, Is it mostly just you? I mean, what's that whole process like? I mean, I know you have a a new CBD company, for example, that came out uh, that you just started, which is very exciting. Um, What I mean? You know, take us through, I guess, the behind the scenes of how these things come together.
1: Well, when you when you put yourself out there as an entrepreneur, and if you've experienced unbelievable success, so my my profile is very public, so people are aware that 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 uh, you know I'm a I'm a nine figure net worth guy. So you know, there's no shortage of uh, opportunity coming your way. Now here's the here's the tricky part, Felix. I can tell you, I've never had a business presented to me where the financials are not up and to the right. Okay. (laughs) I mean, no one shows me a bad business plan, so I don't get emotional about that. I look at fundamentals, that's where I start with. Fundamentals, I look at how much capital has the founder, does does the founder have in it, the person who's who's operating the business. So what is their capital? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm always a little skeptic when somebody comes to me with a business plan and they they don't have any of their money in it and they own 40% of the company. To me, that's a bullshit deal, all right? so to me have your own skin in the game just like if someone comes to me with an opportunity and this is a great lesson for some of you some of you entrepreneurs that have had success and you're looking to divest in other things here's a moment of truth for people someone comes to you with a great idea and i ask them and the deal fundamentally sounds great so i asked the founder you know how much money do you do are you going to put in Well, he said i don't have anything in i'll ask him for their tax return i'll ask him for their personal financial statement all right and i'll get them to a point where let's say that the number is a hundred thousand dollars he's going to put a hundred thousand dollars in i'm going to put a million dollars in -hmm. but believe me his hundred thousand dollars he's betting the farm all right so he's the one that's going to get up every every day and run the company I don't want an extra job. I don't want to do your job. Don't give me the reins and think that I'm going to, I'm going to ride your, grow your company into this hundred, $200 million company. I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm betting on the horse. I'm betting on you. I'm betting on your passion. I'm betting on your vision. I'm betting on your expertise within this space, but I'm going to make sure that you are fully vested, my friend, that if this thing goes south, that it's going to leave a bruise for you. It's not going to affect my lifestyle. But it's going to definitely affect theirs. Mm. I want them running their business with the same letter with the same uh, paranoid, that paranoia that I had when I was starting my company for the first time. There was no plan B. Failing was not an option. That's the kind of fire that I look for.
0: Now what kind of I mean, other than that kind of fire, uh, I guess character traits are you looking? Do you look for when you're um, you know, working with different business partners, or is there one yeah. that stands out the most for you?
1: Yes, They're a rational thinker. Okay, they're rational and they're practical. They understand the meaning of bootstrap. Okay, it always brings me a high level of concern when somebody says, yeah, we need to go rate three, $4 million. And I'll tell them, look, you gotta build your revenues up a little bit first, because when you go out to raise capital, believe me, that, that first amount of capital that you raise is gonna be the most expensive capital you will raise. Mm-hmm. Because right now, it's, you're, you, you're still trying to fundamentally prove out your business. Be patient, grow your business, Let's get to a point where we have some real value on the company. And then when we need to raise money, let's make sure that we've got a good purpose for that capital. Because in some cases, think about, think about Snap Fitness. When I started Snap Fitness, I started it with $300,000. I never had to go raise capital. The first time that I sold a portion of the company, I did it for pure liquidity. Because And, and I talk about this all the time as an entrepreneur. You're going to create a concept, you're going to execute on your vision, and you're going to have some level of an exit where you can take some chips off the table. So in my case, after starting the company in five years, I sold 40% of the company for $47 million. And that other
0: right? 16% was the same amount.
1: You got it. Yeah. And and for me, another five years later, But but for me, the first time that I did it, that was the fiduciary accountability to myself because I knew at that point my life was never gonna be the same, mm. okay? It was never gonna be the same. I was not gonna bet the farm. Some people say, oh my gosh, Peter, why did you sell 40%? If you had held on to it, you could have made $80 million for 40%. I said, yeah, absolutely right, but the unknown. Right. I also could have been that guy. I talk to people all the time. They have a great idea. In two years, it turns on a dime. Suddenly, their $200 million company is worth 20 million. Yeah. I didn't wanna be that guy. And I've got some stories of dear friends of mine that that's happened to. I don't want to say names, but believe me, it's gut wrenching for them. It's absolutely gut wrenching.
0: Now it's obviously very hard to know, you know, again, the right time. But if you had to give a best piece of advice on when it's perhaps or when you feel like it's perhaps the right time to take out a little bit, um, how do you gauge, you know, for yourself when when is quote unquote the right time?
1: Well, I think I mean the, the the perfect time. The perfect time to get out of a company is when you're just getting ready to crescendo. Okay. okay? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you could, if you could plan that, that would be the time to pull the shoot. Okay. But for me, when I'm about halfway up that crescendo and and it's a meaningful dollar amount, like for me with, with snap fitness as an example, I didn't want to sell 40% for $10 million. And don't, don't get me wrong. It's not that $10 million is not a lot of money. It's a hell of a lot of money. Okay. But I had confidence that, that there was a lot of runway for me. So I wanted my timing. And when it got to the point where it was kind of, kind of stupid money, 47 million, all right, 47 million, that's a whole other league. okay. That's, and I promise you, I mean, and for all the people out there with money, $10 million, that's one thing, but when you start getting over $20 million of, of cash after tax cash, that's a whole nother level. And when you get over 50, that's another level. You get over 100, it's another level, all right? Just make no mistake about it. All of them are great levels to be at, but those are different levels of of your lifestyle and new levels of accountability. To me, I think if you got to a point where you get over X amount of dollars and everyone's different, that you've got a fiduciary responsibility to give back and give other people a leg up. Help them find the way to their financial freedom.
0: And now we're just going to take a quick break because I want to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles. They do not use any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs, and they supply nutrient-dense all-natural foods to professional football and baseball teams colleges, individual athletes at the highest levels of every single major sport, health professionals, respected gourmet chefs, fine dining establishments, and families all over the country just like yours in every state Canada, and Puerto Rico who are looking for the best food and best quality on the planet. Go to uswellnessmeats.com today. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, for 15% off store-wide savings. They'll ship anywhere in the country for only $9.50 for shipping and handling, and most orders are delivered within 24 to 48 hours. Go check them out. Promo code PODCAST for 15% off store-wide savings at uswellnessmeats.com. Now let's get back into it. And I know that that's also something that you're very passionate about. I mean, you've, you're involved in a, in a numerous amount of uh, different ways that you give back. Um, one that I thought was was very interesting is um, you're very, you know, anti-poaching. Um, that's something that you, you're passionate about. And you've made, I think, numerous trips, obviously, to, to Africa to, to be with the, the people there and, and to combat it, you know, hands on, on the ground. Um, We just talk about those kinds of experiences and why anti-poaching was something that really, um, you know, struck a chord in your heart.
1: Well, for me, I think it's important to understand where I I came from and and how I grew up. I mean, I grew up, as I said, a middle class kid. I grew up in the country. I have a passion for, for, um, you know, animals and wildlife. I have a passion, compassion for people. I never like to see people suffer. I always felt bad for the underdog. I always felt bad for the overweight kid on the playground, um, or the or the new kid that came into the classroom from moving in from an, another town, and everybody's staring at you. You're 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 there. You're afraid. I always tried to befriend those type of those type of situations because it, I just for some reason I just got that that soft spot in my heart for people that way, and the same goes for people for adults today when I see that they're a little bit lost, I try to, to help find their way. Now, when I go to Africa, that's a, that's a whole other level. Now we're talking about animals. And to me, I think it's so profoundly wrong when a 50-year-old a you know, male elephant is, is, is just drinking water in the Serengeti and some, some clown from 400 yards away plants one in the back of his ear and he drops dead in his tracks, and then you drive up on him and you cut his tusks off as he sits there and rots in the sun for the next you know, 30 days. But to me, it's just profoundly wrong. It's senseless, but the, the, the challenge there, it's, it goes so much deeper than just the, the tusk or the guy shooting him. You gotta go so far upstream because the guy shooting him, he's just a local trying to put food on the table for his family. So there's a hell of a lot of education that needs to take place. But the whole po- point of it, I mean, in today's day and age, I can't for the life of me understand why we're still talking about ivory, why we're still talking about, you know, senseless, inhumane treatment to animals. I honestly, I don't get it. It's to me, it's just like people talking about, you know, the gay population. I, I scratch my head, I'm like, for real? That's what, you're, that's what you're concerned about? Look, let people roll how they want to roll. But I just, I don't get how some people take some of these positions. There's so many bigger fights to, bigger battles to fight than, 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 than people's sexual preference or, I I just don't get it. You know, I don't get some of some of these things. And and obviously poaching is one of them.
0: Now, how does one, you know, like yourself, a person like you, get involved in combating poaching? I mean, what's that conversation like? Do you have to find different partners that do X, Y, and Z out in Africa? I mean, how does that work?
1: Well, I, I own a lodge in the Serengeti. So I own a lodge just outside the Serengeti. It's called Tasa, T-A-A-S-A, TasaLodge.com. And being in the being in that business, we're very aware of poaching and what takes um, place a, a, across the, the Serengeti. And we, I speak with other lodges. There's another lodge out there um, that is that is uh, uh, called Singita, and and that is a they've got wardens and they've got a huge initiative on anti-poaching. In fact I was going to do a, a benefit concert to raise money for that specific group. I mean to me they're they're the poster child of really taking action on the ground of combating poaching, but it is literally like trying to stop a dam with your finger. It's you know it, it's a big problem. It starts with education and uh, you know it, it's a big uphill battle so but it, it's one it's it's a fight worth fighting. And that's why with my foundation, the Peter Taunton Warrior Foundation, my tagline is fighting the good fight. And for me, fighting the good fight is could be a, a number of things. It could be fighting the fight against anti-poaching. It could be fighting the fight against homeless and hunger. So I have different fights, different causes. I can't be everything to everyone. But the places that I that I do have passion for, I, I try to I try to help where I can.
0: And where do you think that that level of compassion also comes from? I and mean, we talked about where your passion co- comes from, but in terms of compassion and caring about other people and caring about these different causes. I mean, is that something uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned when you were younger, you always kind of felt bad for that kid who got bullied or the kid who was overweight or whatnot. But, um, you know, did you ever experience any of those kinds of, um, you know, any bullying or, or things that struck you when you were young that made you want to care for the, for the underdog?
1: I don't, you know, I don't, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't have any bully situation. Did I get in some fights when I was a kid? I, of course I did. I was a fiery, uh, you know, young kid, um, in the, uh, but I just, I was just always compassionate. I don't know where I got it from. And my twin brothers the same way. Um, you know, we're, we're just really, really compassionate people. Um, and that's something I've never apologized for. I mean, I can, I can really empathize with people. I've got a, I've got an incredible soft spot for people, right. Especially those that are going through hard times. Um, so I I don't know where it comes from and I'm, but I'm thankful that I have it. I think that that is a gift that I've been, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I, and I do believe that for those that have been given a lot, that a lot is expected. Right. So for me, my giving back is, is through my compassion to others. Obviously some, some, some philanthropic donations here and there is obviously plays a part as well. But I th- I just think that you've got to show up in so many different aspects of your life. And, and I think also, you, know, you can't be a one man wrecking crew that you've got to, hopefully that that compassion for others becomes contagious for others. And so you can you can kind of rally people to say, you know what, man, this is, re- this is really doable. And, and you're showing me that it's doable. And I, I, I talked about this just, just a couple of months ago on a podcast that when I was feeding the homeless, I, when I'm back home in Miami, I, I had this bike and I bought this little trailer and um, I, I have a deal worked out with some of the bakeries around Miami where I get day old uh, cookies and cupcakes. And then I buy a couple of cases of water and, and I go into the hood of Miami. And um, I'm in there by myself. And some people think, Peter, you're crazy. You're going to get rolled one of these days. I've, I've only been threatened a couple of times, um, but there's not a time that I haven't done that, That I don't. that my heart is not completely full. Mm. And I remember talking about one time saying, you know what? I learned I learned through that experience that the giving of my time is so much harder for me to do okay right. and that so now I really hold myself accountable to that I say peter don't just give money because that's a cop out right. okay that's a cop out give of your time give of yourself because that's real giving and uh, you know so I, that's just one thing that I do for myself holding myself accountable not taking the shortcut
0: now it's also, I mean, I'm also curious, uh, you know, when you get to, to a high level of wealth, right. Um, is it isolating? Uh, I mean, I know you, you've said, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. Um, and a lot of people that are wealthy say the same thing, but is it isolating? Is it lonesome? Is it, um, you know, how do you gauge that? I mean, I mean, then you're, you're in like a group with other people and it kind of separates you from the regular population, if you will.
1: Yeah. i tell you, you know what, it's like, I'll tell you a funny story. And I, you know, I'm, not, I'm the hardest on myself, and I can laugh at myself harder than anyone, right? So, is it isolating? It can be if you let it. Okay, there's no question um, that that some people come to come up to you, and people are very smart. They'll approach you, um, say, pretending that they don't know who you are, and then you find out within 10 minutes of a conversation, they're telling you things about yourself, and then pretty soon, here comes the big question: it's a company that they want you to look at, yeah. or it's... So you see some of that. And after a while, you get a little bit jaded to it. But you know what, if that's the biggest thing that you have to worry about by having financial success, big deal, poor little baby, obviously, you find your way through it. But the, the piece for me, so I, I'm a single guy. And it's, it's funny for me, because I'm, as I try to find the person to share my life with. And I'm and, and that is a big deal for me, right. Because you can have all these things, jets, yachts, fancy cars and fancy trips. But if you're doing that without someone to share those memories and make memories with, mm-hmm. it's a pretty freaking shallow existence. If I could be honest, yeah. right? Well, the problem is that when, when, when I meet someone who is, who has the qualities that I'm looking for, because I can very quickly decipher if she's not for me because she's entitled, you know, she may be com- a complete smoke show, but she's a complete nutbag as well. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I can I get I get to that point very quickly, but when I meet someone who is beautiful and real, it's like a shiny penny. It's like I can't get enough of it. I can't hold it in my hand. You know what I mean? So I gotta learn to control my to be to curb my enthusiasm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so it's so freaking hard. I laugh at myself, you know, because I moved, I move at the speed of light. You know what I mean? When I find someone because I can read people's heart very quickly. And when I see someone who's just genuine and like-minded and compassionate. And, and man, I tell you what, you know,
0: do you, do you feel like it's harder to get a read on people when you're approaching it as it's, you know, perhaps a, an emotional thing rather than, I mean, you know, separating reading a business situation and reading a woman you might, you know, spend time with, do you yeah. feel like, um, you're able to do both equally as well? Um, do you feel like, you know, because it's a woman and it's more challenge that's more challenging. I mean, how, You know, I mean, you're, uh, you're a smart guy. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, but, but when emotions are in it, you know, we're all sometimes a little bit um, nervous or, you know, flustered or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah. I don't get nervous around beautiful women. Um, but the the challenge becomes, I I think, I think, I think everyone, um, I I know what I bring to the table. I know what I bring to the table in a relationship. Okay. I'm let's just be real about it. Right. I know you know I'm, I'm i'm beyond an age where i want to have children right. but one of the things i can bring to the party is an amazing life okay i can bring that and i'm and i'm well aware of that and i embrace that so sometimes when i meet people they're drawn to that potential lifestyle and when i'm not feeling the same way although they're they're a, they're a really really nice person sometimes they don't take well to being in the friend zone right. okay they're, i'm friend zoning them right if that makes sense yeah. because it's not an all- or- nothing I meet some amazing people and they're great but they're but they're but they're not the fit for me to have a long-term monogamous relationship and that's and that's what I want that's what I'm looking for and I but I'm not I'm perfectly happy and I don't have a gun to my head over it but I really I look for that and I think that all of us deserve love so I just you know I wait patiently for that amazing person that I can settle down with and and uh, you know right off into the sunset so to speak
0: Do you feel like it's harder also because, you know, you're a public figure and people and a woman knows you have money and and have all the beautiful things that that come with that? Do you feel sometimes that uh, you have to have a barrier at first to try to, you know, gauge whether or not it's, you know, because they actually like you or because they like the lifestyle or what you have to offer financially and they can look you up and see that you have millions of dollars? I mean, does that I could imagine that, uh, you know, it's hard. I mean. (laughs) Sugar, sugar babies exist. That's the reality. And you know, I guess for for someone like yourself, I'm I'm wondering how you kind of gauge that, how you how you work with dealing with those different personalities and people, and and ultimately, you know, I mean, what's that experience been like?
1: You know what? It's I think just like in in business, you have to pay attention to what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for me, when when I meet someone and I think that there's potential there for it to go somewhere. I'm quietly observing, you know, if they have kids, how do they treat their kids? How do they treat their ex? How do they treat their friends? Mm-hmm. All right. Who are their friends? How do they roll? I mean, are they, if they're still at a point where they're where they're, they're, they're clubbing it and they're running around with a lampshade on their head at night, that's not my jam, right. okay? And believe me, I love to have a margarita as much as the next person on a sandy beach with friends laughing. I roll with that any day that ends in wine, right? but. I'm never, I'm never completely, I'm never out of control, right? I, that's just not, I've, and I've never been like that. So, I, I just pay close attention. You know, I like, I, I like a woman who can be, who can be fun and adventurous and light, and and not heavy, no drama. I mean, I and I don't think that's indicative, uh, that's unique for, for what any person wants. Um, and and those that come up and and they realize, you know, the financial um, uh, wherewithal that I have. I mean. That's just being realistic. I, I'm glad that they embrace it rather than try to pretend that they that they don't. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. All things being equal. And I, I, I say this to men and women all the time. All things being equal, the choice to be rich or poor, take rich. It's, it's a hell of a lot more fun. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't I don't ever apologize for being successful. I tell them, "Hey, look, it's a hell of a lot of work and a hell of a lot of risk, and I, and I would, and I, and a lot of sacrifice and discipline and all those things that come with it. But I wouldn't have changed it for the world, and I wouldn't change where I am today in my life for the world. I just know I'm very intentional. I have to be like that, just like I was in business. I'm very intentional about, you know, one of the things that I want to have in my life is is a significant other. I'm patient, but I, you know, I don't want to be sitting. I don't want to." I don't want to spend the rest of my life i don't want to spend the next 50 years single i don't want to be a serial dater that's just not me and some of my friends think i'm absolutely crazy Mm -hmm. they think i should be this playboy jet setting around dan blzarian type right you know and 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 i follow dan right i follow dan and and you know some sometimes it looks fun and then other times it looks it looks you know really not looks really empty so
0: do you feel like you put a pressure on yourself to, to get that because you talk about it and because you know, that's how you feel. I mean, do you feel like, is it you putting a pressure on yourself? Is it the people around you? Is it, how do you gauge that?
1: You know what? That's a great question. I love that question. I have some friends in Miami uh, that belong to a specific fraternity. We're we're all high net worth guys. And one of the things when I talk about it, there's not a one of them other than those that are married, but about half of them are single guys mm-hmm. with, with a lot of dough. And we all talk about the same thing. Okay. We all have the same challenge and I give them a unique perspective on it. Right. So it's, I'm, I'm vocal about it. People ask me to people, you know, Peter, you're, you're, you know, you're single. Why are you single? What well, I just haven't met the right person. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between saying, I just haven't met the right person or I'm never getting married again. And, you know, I love this single thing where I'm dating one beautiful woman after another. Big difference between saying, look, you know, I just haven't met the right person. That's an honest response, meaning I'm looking and and when she comes, she, you know, when it's right, she will be there for me and I'll feel it.
0: And also, I mean, honestly, I really appreciate your your honesty too, because I think it also puts into perspective, um, you know, you could be rich and successful, but at the end of the day, we all just want the same things, you know, the same. I could pull a person off the street, and they might, and they'll tell me the same things that you're telling me from an emotional standpoint, right? Yeah, um, right. so just to wrap things up, I'm curious. Uh, I don't know if you ever think about it, um, and hopefully, again, long, long years of healthy and successful life, but. Um, do you ever think about your legacy? Um, how you hope, how you hope to be remembered, um, in the, in the span of history?
1: I I do. And I, I hope, I mean, you can never control what people say about you, right? I mean, you can just be you. So, but I hope that, you know, the narrative around when my name comes up in conversation, I hope it's not, he was a hardworking, successful businessman. I mean, that, that, comes with it, but I'm hoping the other side of it is, you know what, despite all of his success and all of its life experiences, he was a good father. He had a beautiful heart. He was compassionate to others and he fought for the underdog every freaking day. Right. And, you know, to me, that says a lot about your character that you're a little bit of a cowboy at heart, that you've got grit. You're not going to turn and run. You're going to face any, any storm head on. and, And, you know, and, and, um, you know, that's, that's how I try to show up every day. And I, hopefully, hopefully people appreciate it.
0: Beautiful. People can follow you on Instagram at Peter underscore Townton. Uh, your Twitter is the same uh, Peter Townton. I believe uh, your website is a great website, PeterTownton.com. And uh, Peter, truly a pleasure to have you. Hey, it was one thing that we haven't, we didn't really go over, um, but I know you are a big racquetball player. I don't know. Did you ever play tennis?
1: Well, I do, but I just bat it around. In fact, it's funny because my, my oldest son played on the tennis team, and he would play me in tennis, and he, I would hit what you call a flat ball. Okay. So he puts all this top spin on it. And You're more say,
0: eastern yeah. grip. What's that? You have the eastern grip. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, more, more flat.
1: Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't even know. Okay. So, so, first, I've never heard that. <laughs> but it would drive my son crazy. So, you know what? I'm athletic, so I can I can get the ball back over the net, Right. But uh, so I just play tennis a little bit. I'm probably just a a middle class tennis player, but but racquetball was my game for sure.
0: All right. Well, if you're ever in New York, first of all, I'd love to bring you in the studio one day and, uh, you know, post covid, of course. And, uh, you know, maybe play some tennis. I I was I'm a tennis player, so I never played racquetball. But uh, but we'll see. But thank you again uh, for taking the time. Truly a pleasure, honor to have you on my show. And uh, I'm excited for what the, the future holds for you.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks, brother. I I appreciate it. I really enjoyed myself and I'd be happy to come back anytime you have me.
0: Perfect. Take care. Thanks, John.